0: Thank you, Kim. Proverbs chapter three, if you have your Bible with you this morning. Proverbs chapter three. There is, there's probably a million diet books out there. There's one that uh, that I haven't read, as you know, um, but there's one called Eat This, Not That. Have y'all ever heard of that one? So it's apparently my understanding that that book shows you all the things that you shouldn't be eating. And gives you alternatives to what you can eat, uh, that will get you better results, that'll make you healthier. Um, maybe it's for diet, maybe it's just general health overall, I don't know. For example, it might say, don't, don't eat, uh, certain types of, I don't know, bread, but eat eat lagoons instead or something along those lines. Just don't, don't eat this because it's bad for you. For some reason, eat this instead. Wisdom often comes in those kinds of forms, not, not only knowing what, what the good thing to do is, but, but how to replace the bad thing with the good thing. I've given the example before. I don't remember if I was here or somewhere else where I gave this. I, I, I just can't remember. So if I have, just forgive me. But um, there was a while that we, we had some old trees in our yard. And some of them have been uh, fallen down with age or with disease or whatever. Some of them uh, had cut up and, and taken out. The problem is that when you have a tree fall, especially, um, there tends to be a hole in the ground where that tree was. And if you don't fill it, one of two things will happen. Either one, uh, you'll step in it or you'll drive your lawnmower into it or something along those lines and, and, and something will end up getting injured because of it. Or two, something else will get in there that you don't want to be in there. We, had a, um, we have a lot of critters that make holes and sometimes they move on to make new holes and the old holes are still there and guess what happens? other stuff moves in. And one time, in particular, my wife got really, really badly stung by some yellow jackets or some kind of wasps or something. I can't remember exactly what it was, hornets or something like that because they had nested in a hole that had been opened up by something else. And so sometimes what fills the hole isn't always very good. So part of wisdom is knowing not only what to take out, but what to put in its place. And so what we find when we get to Proverbs chapter three is that Solomon is trying to teach his sons. Remember, he's sitting in his recliner and his son is in his lap and he's telling his son wisdom. He's giving him instruction. He's helping him to know the right kind of way to live. And so I can picture him taking his son in his lap for this particular time and, and basically telling him, you know, there are some things you shouldn't be doing, and there are some other things that you should put in their place. So there's a prohibition, don't do this, and there's, a, um, there's also the, the permission, do this instead, and all and in doing these things, he doesn't just give the commands. He also he also gives the promises that go along with them. If you're doing what I tell you to do, it's going to have positive impact. So as we read these verses this morning, I want you to look for the prohibition, look for the don't, look for look for the um, the permission, look for the do, and then look for the promise. What will happen if you do? That's how he's kind of structured this passage. Each two verses will kind of go together as we go through this, but stand with me. We'll read the first 12 verses of Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs 3, you know some of these verses very well. Uh, In fact, we're going to talk about two verses that you've probably seen over and over and over again, and unlike some of the most common verses of scripture, these are usually interpreted pretty well. Um, We don't We don't have a context issue here, but but listen to Proverbs 3, 1 through 12, and let's see what God has to tell us, because God is speaking. This is his word, and if we let it, it will change our lives. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Pray with me. Father, I pray that you would give us wisdom this morning. Help us to find wisdom. Lord, we know it's good. We know that wisdom comes from you. Lord, we also know there are some things that we can do, and some things we shouldn't do if we're on this path to grow in wisdom and to be more like you. So, Father, help us along the way. Help us not be pitiful or petty Help us not be victims or self centered. God, help us fix our eyes on you and find wisdom in its source. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. You may be seated. So there's this, do this, don't do that kind of scenario that he's got going on. And the real thing is he's wanting to teach his sons not just things to know. He wants to show his son how to get wisdom. Now, if you remember the story of Solomon, God asks him, what do you want? And Solomon says, give me wisdom. I need wisdom. And in Sunday school this morning, uh, Daryl was telling about uh, some various different uh, wisdom literature in some ways that Solomon had inqu- had acquired wisdom from other places. And if you can imagine, if you go back into the days of Solomon, Israel is at its peak. It is bigger than it has ever been before. It is richer than it has ever been before. It is doing more trade than it has ever done before. The kingdom that Saul had started building and uniting the tribes together was furthered by David. Its expanses. Continued and, and the wars that David waved and, and the things that David did making it even bigger. So by the time Solomon comes on the scene, things are rolling along and he is, he is the king of Israel during the most prosperous time in Israel's history. These are the best days. And you know, he's gotta be doing pills all over. He's got to be talking with foreign kings from all sorts of different nations, trying to set up new trade, trying to establish some ways for his people to get goods that they don't have access to or, or for other people to buy Israelite goods that they may not see yet as being as good as they are. He's, he's working for his people and he's trying to get this kingdom built up even more. And in the course of time, you know, guy who's particularly attuned to wisdom. He's looking for wisdom. I could see him going to Egypt and talking to pharaohs and pharaohs saying, saying, have you seen some of our literature? I can see him going to various places, talking to kings in Damascus, talking to people in Babylon, talking to people in various places, Assyria and others all over the world, all over the known world. To get wisdom. What does, what, what does your culture teach? What is smart in, in your way? What things do you find to be true? And incorporating those things, not just saying, well, we're just going to listen to everybody else and exclude God. He's putting it through that filter of wisdom that God has given him. And isn't it kind of funny? Because sometimes if you want to be smart, you got to start by being smart. If you want to be wise, sometimes you have to have some wisdom. At least wisdom enough to know wisdom when you see it. And so God gives him that start. And as he's acquiring these wisdom from different places, he's he's putting it all together. And now he's teaching his sons. Sons, I'm not just going to tell you to get wisdom. I want to show you how to find it. He answers the question, how do we find wisdom? How do we find it? How do we actually get a hold of it? We talked last week about how great it was. We talked about the purposes of wisdom and how it ends up leading us into godliness, not just, not just leading us to a super thinking of ourselves that says we know everything. It, it leads us to the point where we actually look more like Christ. It leads us along the way in holiness and righteousness. That the end goal of wisdom isn't wisdom. The end goal of wisdom is godliness. So how do we get there? That's what he's going to answer for us today. I find that there's a lot of do this, not that. And so I've structured some of these in this positive command and negative command. What should we do? What should we not do? The first set. Keep. Don't forget. Keep. Keep what? Verse one. My son, do not forget my teaching but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. The nuance here isn't just the difference between remembering and forgetting. It's not just um, having it in your mind versus not being able to find it. It's The word forget can also mean ignore, neglect. Um, Deuteronomy 8, God, God knows his people need help. God knows that his people need help remembering him, especially when times get good, especially when the money is flowing in, especially when everything seems to be going well. And it looks like from the outside, all these great things are happening. It's easy to forget. It's easy to neglect. It's easy to ignore who is the source of that prosperity, who is the source of that blessing. And so he tells them, take care lest you forget the Lord. You got to be careful because you will forget me. Take care lest you forget the Lord by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statures, which I command you today. And he goes on expressing how, how you're going to be wealthy and you're going to have all these blessings and it's going to be easy to put God to the side. And then he says in verse 18, you shall remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today, you shall surely perish. The king is warning his son. And the king is warning us. Don't put away the teaching. Don't pack it up in a box somewhere. and Forget about it. Don't neglect it. Keep it. Keep a close watch on it. Pay it special attention. Preserve the commands. Store them up. You don't... You don't leave... um, meat out on the counter unless you're getting ready to cook it right you can thaw it out but you got to store it up until it's time to cook otherwise it ain't going to be any good the same is true with God's commands. we got to keep it preserve it store it up notice here there's also a reward It says back in verse 2, long length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Does that just mean that God's going to give you a long life just because you keep his commands? Well, he might. But I find it interesting that he doesn't say just length of years. He says length of days. You ever notice sometimes you just seem to be more productive? Like things just seem to roll along smoothly and you just get more done. You ever you ever had those kind of days? Maybe you walk into work and it's just it's like everything is easy. Some of y'all are like I don't get those days often enough. I understand that. That's what wisdom can do. It can help you make the most just as a good budget will make your dollars go further a good a good good wise course of action. Keeping God's commandments can make your minutes go further. Sometimes that's because you just exclude stuff you shouldn't be doing. Sometimes it's because you're doing the right stuff. Um, I believe it it was either Maxwell or Covey. I can't remember who. One of those guys wrote the illustration of the jar. There's a jar, and he's got several big rocks, and then a bunch of smaller pebbles and then some sand. you got to fill the jar. And if you start with the sand and then you put in the pebbles, you don't have enough room for the rocks. But if you start with the rocks and then you put in the pebbles and then you put in the sand, you've got plenty of room. And the whole illustration is the fact that you've got to start with the big things, right? Wisdom allows you to know what those big things are. Where are those priorities? What are those major things that that we got to deal with? And sometimes we forget what's the rocks and sand. What's the stuff that's pointless? And what's the stuff that matters? We've all done that. I know I here have. You don't have to amen that when I say I did it. You, yeah. It's not about success, though. It's not just about getting more done. It's about stewardship. How do you manage your time? And I'm going to tell you what wisdom will do. Keeping God's commandments make you more effective at following his will for your life, doing the things that matter. Second set of commands in verses three and four are, hold, don't forsake. Verse 3, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. This command threw me off at first because if it's steadfast love and if it's faithfulness, how are they going to forsake? I mean, aren't they steadfast and faithful? Isn't that kind of loyalty kind of stuff? How could they forsake him? And how can this poor guy, (laughs) who's trying to get wisdom, figure out how not to let them forsake him? The command just seemed odd to me that it would be worded this way. I think what he's really saying is, hold them. Don't forsake them. The reason I think that is because steadfast love doesn't leave you. You leave it. Faithfulness doesn't turn its back on you. That's what makes it faithful. You turn away from it. Both of these, steadfast love, faithfulness, are both covenant kind of terms. In the Old Testament, the way, in, in that period of time, the way that you establish relationship is by covenant. And so when God relates with his people, he establishes a covenant, a covenant that says, I am yours and you are mine. I am your God and you are my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You will have no other gods before me. This is what I've done for you. Now, this is how you're going to live in relationship with, with me. It's covenant idea. Steadfast love. In fact, in some versions, it's actually translated as covenant love because that's exactly what it's talking about. It's talking about the unmerited favor that God puts upon his people because he chooses to live in relationship with them. We know on this side of the cross that when we look back at the death of Jesus Christ, that that's the point where that love becomes tangible. Up until that point, it's represented. It's, it's in shadows and figures. It's not quite so easy to see. It's through a covenant made on Sinai, and it's through the the constant sacrificing of things in the, in the temple. It's through the constant shedding of blood that, that we picture it ahead. But when we look back at the cross with Christ hanging upon them in his sin, my sin, excuse me, on his shoulders, in fact, all our sin on his shoulders. And we see his death as a propitiation for our sins, as a, as a payment in full for the wrath of God upon our sin so that we can be holy. We recognize that's God's love in language we can understand. That's not just a representation of his love. That is his love. And so we can look on that. And we can see God's steadfast love and faithfulness. Have you? Do you know God's steadfast love and faithfulness? Do you know that He loved you enough to put His sin on your shoulders at Calvary's cross? I pray you have. I pray that you've bound it around your neck. That you're wearing it like jewelry. I found that an interesting picture. It's not just the idea of put it on, the idea of showing it off. Women don't wear jewelry just because the jewelry is nice. They wear jewelry because they want to show it off. Maybe it comes from someone special and they treasure that relationship. Maybe that jewelry represents some of who they are. Maybe there are charms or things on that 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 allow her to express herself. Jewelry isn't made just to be known about. It's made to be shown off. Put God's love and faithfulness on you like jewelry. Show it off. Write it on the tablet of your heart. Hide it deep down within. One of the verses in Psalm 119 says, Your word have I hid in my heart. When God promises the new covenant in Jeremiah 33, He says, I will write my law upon their hearts. Take God's word and write it deep down. Etch it unto the stone in your heart. So that you won't forget it, so that you won't neglect it, so that you won't ignore it, so that you won't put it away and not think about it, so that you'll live by it. One of the challenges, um, one of the challenges that organizations face is turning turning their purpose into their culture. In other words, there'll be some bigwigs. Sometimes it's at the start of a company. Sometimes they do this every few years. It just kind of depends. But they'll set up a purpose and they'll say, this is why we exist. This is why our company exists. And part of the challenge is taking it from that piece of paper and putting it into your people so that the folks that are working in your restaurants or in your stores or in, uh, on, on your equipment or what those that are working for you adopt that culture that their purpose becomes to do while they're working, is is to, to fulfill that, that purpose. They're, they're looking at what's my role in making this happen. How do you get people into that kind of mode? You really got to write it down in them. You really got to get it down deep because once you get it down deep, it's going to come out out of the abundance of the heart the tongue speaks right solomon's advice here is don't abandon god's covenant don't abandon the things that he's done for you don't turn your back on your relationship with god and if you do find favor that word is the same word for grace in the old testament it's the same word that a woman named esther finds all throughout her journey good success the the word success here think of it like a reputation having a good name people will know that you're the real deal People and God both. That's what will happen if you don't abandon God's covenant love. If you don't don't abandon His faithfulness. If you continue in relationship with Him. If you hold it and don't forsake it. Third thing. These are the verses that are so common. We know these. Some of you have these somewhere in your house. These are good verses to have in your house and unlike many popular verses of scripture people typically find the right meaning for it trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths I call this one trust don't fall there's a tightrope walker. Walker who set up his tightrope across Niagara Falls. Now, now, this guy had to be good, or had to think he was good, because uh, you don't do that if you don't if you don't trust your own abilities, right? So he set up this tightrope and he starts doing his act. And day after day after day, he's doing his act, and there's crowds are starting to amass because a it's Niagara Falls, it's just beautiful, but b I mean, this guy's walking across a tightrope across it. This he's This is incredible. And so he gets this large crowd one day. He comes out and he's working the crowd a little bit before his show. And he says, how many of you believe that I can walk across this tightrope blindfolded? And by now the people have seen his reputation. He's pretty good at this. Yeah, we believe that. We believe that. How many of you believe that I can walk across this tightrope blindfolded with this wheelbarrow, pushing the wheelbarrow? We believe. How many of you believe that I can walk across this tightrope, blindfolded, pushing this wheelbarrow with another man inside? We believe. Who wants to be the first man in the wheelbarrow? Trust is not just intellectual assent. It's getting in the wheelbarrow. Put it all on the line. One dictionary writer writes um, that trust is... It's, it boils down to reliance. It's belief It results in reliance. You, you, you believe in it so much that you rely on it. You've seen the you've seen the illustration of the man with the chair you trust the chair you put faith in the chair when you sit in the chair that it won't fall if you've ever sat in a chair that was broken and it did fall um, you're a little more tentative in sitting in chairs we trust God with the big stuff the scary stuff we don't want to deal with the stuff too big for us to handle stuff that it's really tough and we know we're going to need some help we trust God with that but do we trust God with simple things? do we trust God with little things? do we trust God with easy things? do we trust God with comfortable things? do you trust God enough to require his expertise his ability his presence the reward pattern is here too when we acknowledge god he straightens our path the the picture here is of an advanced team that would go before the king and they would clear the obstacles out of the road they'd make sure that the road was in great condition so when the king traveled it wasn't too bumpy god says i'll clear your path now does that mean he makes it easy no It means that God's not gonna trip us up. You ever you ever walked around um around pranksters to watch out for those legs coming out the trip? Right at the last second, you gotta watch out for those. God doesn't do that. Oh, there's plenty of other stuff we can get tripped up on. There's plenty of other things that we can mess up. We're really good at messing up and falling. It doesn't mean that travel will be easy. In fact, we run into a lot of problems when we just start leaning on our own understanding. Have you noticed I've been leaning on this pulpit? Have you noticed how long it's been? It's so easy to lean. It's so easy to just find something close by to Put your weight on and hope that's all. Let's just settle down and take a little load off. The problem with leaning on our own understanding is it's not God's understanding. It would be like um, it would be like someone who needs a walker. but instead leans on a Jenga block set. I'll just build some blocks up and I'll lean on that, right? And have y'all ever played with blocks? Those things are not stable, are they? You can build them up pretty good and make them fairly stable, but it's nowhere near as good as something made to hold you up. God is strong enough to hold you. Trust Him. Fourth thing, fear. Uh, that's interesting. Fear. Don't falter. What do we mean? Verse 7 Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Here's another command that deals with how we relate with God. Not only should we trust him, but we should fear him. We'll talk more about fearing with God in the next few weeks. Uh, One of the sermons that I'm going to do in the series is what does it really mean to fear God? So, So hang on to the thought, but for right now, just suffice it to say it deals with how we revere him. What place we put him in. Do we put him in his rightful place? Or do we pass him off, ignore him, assume that he is less than what he really is? Don't be wise in your own eyes. Why not? Well, for the same reason we can't lean on our own understanding. Because it just ain't that good. It's said that the man who represents himself in court has a fool for a client trying to be wise in your own eyes that's what it's like it's like representing yourself in a criminal trial in fact, it talks about repenting from sin fear the lord and turn away from evil that that turn away that's repent something interesting happens when we repent have you ever been guilty yes everybody raise your hand yes i have been guilty um i'm not going to make you say how much because trust me we don't i don't need to compare that i'm i'm good have you ever been guilty and fessed up you may get in trouble you probably will get in some kind of trouble you were going to get in trouble anyway you did it but it's almost like there's a burden off your back isn't there it's out there. It's out in the open. I don't have to. I don't have to hide it anymore. It's okay. I can deal with it. It's fine. I. I, I mean, maybe maybe I, I have the problems of preventing it in the future, but now I don't have to worry about the guilt of hiding it and the shame that comes along with that. It's it's like the burden gets lighter. In the story Pilgrim's Progress, there's. Character named Christian. Christian is the main character of the story, and uh, Christian is walking along, and he's got this backpack, and it's full of sin. It's full of sins. We find out this from the allegory that that John Bunyan is using that that every time he sins, it adds to this pack, and it gets heavier and heavier and heavier. It gets to the point where he's struggling to walk under it. He he can't. He's he's falling under the strain. He he just. He's almost where he can't go on any further and he's climbing up this hill that is fenced in on either side with fences called salvation. He gets up to the cross and looks at the cross. He fixes his eyes on the cross and suddenly the burden falls off his back, rolls down the hill into a tomb at the bottom of the hill, never to be seen again. The picture of sin just falling away at the cross. The cross. Cross where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. He says, Everything is different now. He's relieved. And his journey is so much easier. When we confess our sins to God, he lifts the burden of those sins from off of us, and he puts them on his son, Jesus Christ. He renews us. He invigorates us to walk in a new life. It's like a drink of ice water on a boiling hot August day. It's like medicine for a sin-sick soul. These last two, instead of do this, don't do that, he kind of breaks them up. The first one is a do this and the second one is a don't do that. So in verses 9 and 10, he, he gives us the command give first and give freely. Look at verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your bats will be bursting with wine. The word honor, by the way, means make heavy. It's the same word used in the fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother. We kind of have a similar expression. Um, We give weight to an argument or we give weight to someone's opinion because of who they are. That's exactly what it's saying. That, that's part of wisdom. Knowing who to give weight to. Knowing who to listen to more carefully. And knowing when to not take much of what they say with a grain of salt. Solomon tells his sons give God the proper weight. God deserves everything we have and everything we make because he's the one who gives it. So God should be weighty. Weighty in how we use our money. Weighty in how we allocate our possessions. Weighty in how we distribute our earnings. These kinds of things are ways in which wisdom comes from honoring God and giving him the right way. The reward seems to make no sense on paper. How can you have plenty when you're giving away? How can you have plenty when you're giving the best? The idea of first fruits, that's not just the first things that grow, that's the best things that grow. Give them off the top. Give them the best. It doesn't make sense. How can can you say we'll have plenty for giving away our best? I'm so glad God isn't confined to a piece of paper. Because it actually makes sense in your heart, doesn't it? When When you freely give things, whether you're giving to God through offerings or tithes or whether you're giving to charity through, through various charitable contributions or whether you're just helping someone who's in need or whatever that might particularly look like, there is something just so invigorating about being able to give. Does it mean that God will make you rich just because you give? No. Like we said earlier, he'll help you use what you have left over better. It's amazing how many things. There was a time where Carrie and I didn't tithe for a while. And it was amazing how many things started breaking down and going bad. And you always have things go bad. That's 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 just part of life. But it was amazing to me how when we weren't faithful in giving. Tony Evans put it this way. He says he might use the government to collect back taxes. He might use a car mechanic to collect a repair bill. But God's going to get his money one way or another. It's amazing to me how when we put him first, he just makes it work. Things just work. Sometimes somebody helps you when you need it. Sometimes sometimes things just go the right way. Sometimes you get an unexpected pay raise. I've gotten two in the last two months. One of them I wasn't expecting at all. One of them I was kind of expecting, but not quite so much. Just out of the blue. This last paycheck, I didn't know I was getting a raise. I got a raise. I figured it up from the raises and the extra hours that I've been getting. It's amazing what God has done in just the last month and a half. I'm not saying this to say, well, you know, if you just give, then God will bless you, you know, so you should give all your money. I don't have bright enough teeth to say that. But, I can tell you that when you put God first, he makes things work. Sometimes it's more. Sometimes it's doing more with less. But God always makes things work. I I can't explain exactly how he's going to do it. To be honest with you, I don't care to explain. Just watch him do it. Trust him. Honor him. Watch what happens. Handling money is a topic we'll come back to, by the way, in this series. Wisdom teaches us to give to God first and to give freely. The second thing I put in positive terms, but or the last thing I put in positive terms, but you could also state it in negative terms. Uh, I put it as accept correction, but you can also put it as don't despise discipline. And it comes from verses 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. You know, God's discipline, maybe you've never thought of it this way, but discipline is really an example of love, isn't it? I think of a coach, player has bad form, his technique is off, and the coach hounds him about it, harasses him about it, corrects him. It turns out the coach is right, and the player hits better, kicks better, runs faster, because he takes correction. I think of a teacher, the student just doesn't seem to be getting it, and they're trying to And they're trying and they're trying and they just don't seem to be getting it. But that teacher is patiently teaching them, patiently correcting the mistakes, patiently working with that student until they finally break through and get it. When God disciplines, His eye is not simply on shaming, it's on improving, it's not on punishing on making better it's not on neglecting them it's about bringing them to the place they need to be the wise son or daughter sees god's love within the rebukes he knows that the work is ongoing he's not finished he's a work in progress and rejoices in the fact that God loves him enough not to give up on him. So wisdom, keep it. Don't forget it. Whenever you encounter it, keep it. Hold it. Put it deep down within you. Show it off. Now, I don't mean be a wise guy. I mean, I mean, let it adorn you trust. Trust God. Fear God. Honor God. You really want to know how to get wisdom? It all boils down to the source. Fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You fear God, you trust him, you honor him with what you have, and you'll be wise. Give freely. Give first. Take correction. My sons, my daughters, that's how you get wisdom. Maybe this morning, I hope you've come face to face with how much God loves you. With the fact that you can can actually trust God. You can rely on him. Because of what he's done, Through Christ on the cross, you can have a relationship with God that not only makes you wise, but makes you who you're meant to be. Because remember, wisdom isn't the end. It's the means. As we're seeing this invitation, I pray that you know him. If you don't, I'll be up here at the front. And if you do, you just need some help putting wisdom into practice. We're all on this journey together. I'd love to help you along. I'll be up front while we sing.